We live in a culture here in America that I believe is consumed by consumerism. Consumerism is this, this drive, this desire that we have that drives us to want to buy more and more stuff. That's what consumerism is. And some cultural analysts say that consumerism is actually the fastest growing religion in the world today. If you look at it as a religion in terms of the worship of things that money can buy. They say it's a a faster-growing religion than Christianity, than Islam, than Mormonism, than atheism, than anything else. This this worship of the goods that money can buy, they say, is the fastest-growing religion out there today. Consumerism, I think, has infected really almost everyone who lives in America in some way or another. And nowhere, during no time of the year, is this more evident than during the Christmas season. Did you know that Americans, during the Christmas season, spend $450 billion on things for Christmas. That's $450 billion, not million, but billion dollars on Christmas gifts, Christmas cards, Christmas parties, uh, Christmas decorations, other things related to Christmas, $450 billion. That's, that's just mind-boggling when you really think about the magnitude of that dollar amount that's spent on Christmas. I I think if anything shows that we are a consumeristic, materialistic society, it would be that number. Uh, In a time of year when we really should be celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, we get caught up in the consumeristic side of it, of wanting more and more stuff, even if that's stuff related to Christmas. Let me put that number into perspective. Say if you wanted to go out and buy a new Ford Mustang GT, how many Ford Mustang GTs do you think you could buy for $450 billion? A parking lot full. Uh, it would be a massive parking lot because that would be 15 million Ford Mustang GTs. Brand new off the, off the dealer's lot. It's a lot of money, isn't it? If you compare what we spend as Americans on Christmas each year to the gross national product of countries around the world, gross national product being how much a country produces in terms of services and goods each year, our spending on Christmas would fall somewhere between number 12 and number 15 on the list of gross national products of countries throughout the whole world. That means that the amount that we spend on Christmas each year as Americans is greater than the gross national product of 180 countries throughout the world. That's a lot of money, isn't it? Let me put this in a slightly different perspective. Around the world, there are 1 billion people who live on a dollar or less per day. So that means that if you receive at least $365 worth of Christmas gifts this year, which, I mean, that, that's a lot for some people, but for many people it's not a completely unreasonable amount. $365 of Christmas gifts that you receive, the gifts that you receive are worth more than one billion people have in the entire year to live on. And that, that's just mind-boggling to me. Or you think, if you as an individual or as a family spend more than $750 on Christmas gifts this year, which that's actually below the average of what an individual spends on Christmas gifts throughout America. If you spend only 700, not only, but if you spend $750 on Christmas gifts this year, you are spending more money than 40% of the world has to live on during a given year. 40% of the world, 2.6 billion people live on $2 a day or less. So again, if you spend more than $750 on gifts this year, you're spending more than 40% of the world has to live on for the entire calendar year. It's just mind-boggling to get your mind around the numbers of the, of the finances that we spend on Christmas 
each year. I don't think anyone could argue that Christmas has not turned into a consumeristic, materialistic holiday where we worship things that we can buy. Even making it a little bit more personal. Think about your household now or sometime in the past. What would it be like if you chose not to give or receive any gifts this Christmas? What would that be like, you think? I think in my house, growing up, there probably would have been anarchy from people like me. I mean, I would have been crushed, to say the least, if there were no Christmas gifts that I could receive on Christmas as I was growing up. I remember one time, uh, one Christmas, I, I don't know, I was probably 10 years old or so, I got two large catalogs, J.C. Penney and Sears. Those were the two catalogs that came to our house each year. They have pretty large Christmas sections in them. I remember going through those catalogs with scissors, cutting out everything I thought would be nice to have. And I pasted that to sheets of paper that they were there on the table with me. I ended up with a list of things, of pictures. There were probably six, eight, ten pages long of things that I thought would be nice to have. Now, I knew that realistically I wasn't going to get all those things for Christmas, but it shows where my heart was. I really wanted stuff for Christmas. And I'll say, I was excited about other things in Christmas. I, I enjoyed uh, time with family. I enjoyed the good food and treats during Christmas. I enjoyed uh, the Christmas music. enjoyed going to Christmas Eve service and singing Silent Night with candles. And enjoyed a lot of things about Christmas. But the focal point of why I got excited about Christmas, why for me it was the most exciting day of the year, was the gifts I was going to receive. I don't think I was, I, I, I think it was probably not until I was 18 years old or so that I actually was able to sleep in until 6 a.m. or after on Christmas morning. I woke up most years sometime between 3 and 4 a.m. excited about receiving gifts for Christmas. One year I woke up at 1.30 and didn't go back to sleep. I didn't even try to go back to sleep because I was so excited about Christmas gifts. And that's just me. Uh, now maybe you aren't as blatant in your consumeristic mentality around Christmas. Maybe you are. But I think all of us, in some way or another, are probably affected by the consumeristic mentality that has infiltrated our culture here in America, especially around Christmas. Most Americans would say that Christmas has become too materialistic. But also most Americans aren't doing anything to try to counter that materialistic, consumeristic culture. We just go right along with it. Today we are continuing our series on keeping the X and Xmas. How do we keep Christ in Christmas? And the problem that we're going to focus on today with consumerism is this. That when we focus on stuff, whatever that stuff is, when we focus on stuff, we stop focusing on Christ. That's the real problem in Christmas or in any other time of the year when we get caught up in consumeristic mindsets. That when we focus on stuff in our lives, even if it's really nice stuff that we've really wanted for a long time, we lose our focus on Christ. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 6 that no one can serve two masters. Either you will love, hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus says... If you try to follow money and try to follow gifts and the stuff that money can buy, your focus is going to be off Christ. If you try to really follow Christ, you won't focus as much on the money and the gifts. But it's an either or. You can't have both. You're either going to focus on the stuff or you're going to focus on God. But when we do focus on the stuff, even during Christmas time, our focus gets taken off of Christ. As I said, that's the topic we're looking at today, this topic of consumerism. Um, as I said, we are in this series called Keeping the X and Xmas. It's all about keeping Christ in the center of our Christmas celebration. 
And there are a lot of people, a lot of well-meaning Christians who, when they hear that term Xmas or keeping the X in Xmas, they think, what in the world are you doing? That sounds like you're trying to take Christ out of Christmas. But we need to recognize that historically the X in Xmas actually is just simply an abbreviation for Christ. You go all the way back to the first century and trace it on up until the present day, the X stands for Christ. Now, to be true, recently there have been political groups and people who want to try to take Christ out of anything related to this holiday season. But what we're talking about in this series is not about the political side of trying to keep Christ in Christmas. We're talking about, for us personally, how easy it is to get distracted from the things that are most important during Christmas, and especially that focus on Christ. Last week we focused on how busy we can get and how that busyness can distract us away from Christ. This week we're talking about consumerism and how that focus on things, on stuff that comes with Christmas can distract us from the reason for the season, which is Christ. So we're going to be looking in 1 Timothy chapter 6. As we prepare our hearts to read this passage, to study it together, will you please pray with me? Lord, um, we recognize that we live in a culture that is saturated with the consumeristic mentality, with that desire for more and more and more stuff. And God, we, we confess that it's so easy for us to get caught up in that mindset as well. And God, I pray that as we are together this morning, as we look into your word, as we examine our own lives and our own hearts and our own attitudes, that you will help us to learn to be content in Christ and content in what we have rather than feeling the need to have more and more and more. Lord, through this Christmas season and definitely beyond, may we be focused on Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. As I said, we're looking in 1 Timothy chapter 6 where this is a letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to a young Timothy. Timothy is leading a church at this point. And this passage specifically talks about the issue of money and attitudes towards money. But we can broaden the, the principles that Paul is sharing here to apply to all types of consumerism and materialistic mentalities of thinking that we need more stuff. So I invite you to follow along as I begin reading in verse 6 of First Timothy chapter 6, where Paul says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So as we said earlier, our focus here as we're looking at this passage is how when we focus on stuff, we stop focusing on Christ. So we're really trying to get our focus on stuff to the wayside so that we can clear the way to focus in on Christ. And I want to look at the second half of this passage first, and then we'll go back to the first half. The second half of the passage in verse, verses 9 and 10 talks about the consumerism trap that is so easy to get into, especially as Americans. This trap gives us the mentality that we need our greeds. We, it's this mentality that we need our greeds. We need to differentiate what is a need and what is a greed. A need is something that is really necessary to function well in life. I mean, we have the obvious things like air and water and shelter and love. I mean, we definitely need those things, food. Those are things that are necessary for life as, as God designed it. Really, depending on the culture, there may be some other things that are practical needs as well. Uh, for instance, here in Ozaki County, a car 
um, is something that is almost a necessity. I mean, you could get by without a car, but because we live in a place that is, um, stuff is spread out pretty far, you really almost need a car to get around. If you live in New York City or downtown Chicago, you probably don't need a car because they have good public transportation systems. You can ride a bike. But in Ozaki County, you could probably argue that a car is pr- almost a necessity. I mean, same thing with money, that we live in a culture in America that is heavily dependent on using money to, to acquire what we need in order to live, even the basic things like food and shelter uh, and even water. If you go to another culture, you may not have as, the need for as much money. You may not need any money at all, just depending on the culture. But these are needs. These are things that we need to sustain life. And we definitely need those things. But on the other hand are the things that we want. These are things that aren't necessities, but they're things that we look at and we think, you know what, that would be really nice to have. What oftentimes happens in our attitude is that we, we, think we, we pursue our wants with the same passion that we pursue our needs. Maybe we don't have as much passion for our needs, but we think that we need our wants just as much as we need our needs. And that is when our attitude turns to what we could call greed. Greed is really an attitude. It's not a function of how much you have. You can have someone who has a lot of money um, and, a, and a well-paying job and they aren't greedy, where you could have someone who has very little materially and financially, but they have a very greedy attitude because they want more and more and more. Greed is really about that mentality that wants more. Oftentimes, though, in a consumeristic mindset, in a consumeristic culture, we say that we need our greeds, that we, we have a deep desire to want more stuff. I think it's helpful to differentiate what is a need and what is a greed, or what is simply a want. So that we don't pursue our wants with the same passion that we, that we pursue the things that we absolutely need to live. Going around Facebook right now is a very interesting picture that I think is very convicting, especially during this time of year. It says, define necessity. On one hand, you have a picture of young starving children who are reaching their hands out for food. I mean, that would be a basic necessity. On the other hand, you have people in a store, it looks like it's on a Black Friday or something, filling up their shopping carts with stuff most likely to give us Christmas gifts. We oftentimes think that the things we want and the gifts that we're giving, those things are needs, but they aren't. But that's what a consumeristic culture drives us to think, is that we need our greeds, we need our wants. But that's not true. I want to look now in this passage to see, see how, how greed creates in us a thirst for more and more and more. Looking in verse 9, Paul talks about people who want to get rich. They fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires and it plunges people into ruin and destruction. He says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. See, he's talking here about people who have a greedy mentality. They want to get rich. They want more. He doesn't just condemn, he doesn't condemn people who are rich or who have money. He's, he's, he's speaking out against people who have a greedy desire to get rich or to get more stuff. People who love money. And he, he talks about this downward spiral that when you have this greedy mentality that you want more and more and more, he says that leads to a temptation and a trap and in many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people to ruin and destruction. He says that many people have pierced themselves with grief because of their pursuit of more and more and more. Now, you may think, okay, these are strong words. Ruin and destruction, is that really true as we pursue 
our greed and our consumeristic mentality? I think it is in many ways. I mean, you look at credit card debt, which is so rampant in our country. Credit card debt oftentimes uh, accrues as someone buys something that they're not able to afford, thinking they'll be able to pay for it later. They want the instant gratification. But, but I, even, I know people who are just drowning in credit card debt because they cannot pay the high interest rates and can't pay off uh, the money that they charge to their credit card. Credit card debt can sink someone for years or even decades if they can't deal with it. Credit card debt is one of those traps that sinks many people. I mean, I look at the, the stress that is caused as people work longer hours to make more money, as they try to move up the corporate ladder, as they're stressed about where am I going to get money to pay for the lifestyle that I've put myself into. Stress over finances is, is uh, statistically the greatest, uh, the biggest cause of conflict in marriage. As husbands and wives fight over how to use money, who's going to control the money, what are we going to do with it, are we going to have enough to pay for our lifestyle? Money does cause a lot of griefs. And one of the biggest grievances that comes with, with a pursuit of money, with that consumeristic mindset, is that it pulls us away from God. As we said before, when we focus on stuff, we stop focusing on God. And Paul points to that here, where he talks about people who, who are eager for money, who have wandered from the faith. Because when we focus on that stuff, our focus turns away from God. Now, it's easy to have this thirst for more. That's what our culture, that's what our media tries to get us to do. We want more and more and more. And, and when someone has a consumeristic mindset, they can't stop with enough. They want more. I think of John Rockefeller, who um, lived many years ago. He was a very rich man. If you, if you adjust for inflation, he was probably the richest man to ever live. John Rockefeller was asked once in terms of his money, how much is enough? How much money is enough for you, Mr. Rockefeller? His, his response was just, just a little bit more. John Rockefeller, he had more money than anyone else in the world, but he wanted just a little bit more money. And that's the way it is when you have a consumeristic mindset, that you just want a little bit more, a little bit more. But we, what we need to recognize is that in consumerism, there's a lot of emptiness. We may watch the TV commercials that are on right now that talk about if you buy that new jewelry, you'll have deeper love than you've ever imagined. We may see the commercials that talk about if you get that new iPhone or that other new type of cell phone, you'll have all these great social connections with all kinds of great friends. That if you get a new computer, you'll revolutionize your, everything about your life. If you get a new car, you'll be the prestige of the neighborhood. Um, I mean, all kinds of promises are out there. That if you get your new clothing, you'll be popular. That's what media tries to sell us in our consumeristic culture. But those are empty promises. And they are. I mean, and I think one of the things that drives us in terms of that consumeristic mindset is that desire for new things, new things, new things. Um, there's, oftentimes, for most people, there's a bit of a buzz or kind of an emotional high that comes along with new th- buying new things. But after a while, that, that high from the new things wears off, so you need more new things. I think about when I was younger, um, in my teenage years, early 20s, buying CDs. Get a CD. I know now CDs are kind of going by the wayside. Um, now it's more MP3s and stuff, download it. Um, but I grew up in a, in a time where you had CDs. I know some of you may have grown up with cassette tapes or eight tracks or radio or something else, but I grew up with CDs. I would buy a CD. It would be all exciting to listen to. I'd enjoy it. But then after a couple of weeks, I'd listen to the, the music so much, I'd get tired of it. Or even if I don't get tired of it, I'd still want something new because I like that new feeling. So I'd get a new CD that would have new music that I hadn't heard as much before. I'd be all excited about that. A few weeks later, 
do the cycle all over again. I mean, we, we fall into that same trap when we buy new cars, when we buy a new computer, when we buy a new house, when we get gifts for Christmas. We get, we're excited about those things for a little while, but then the newness wears off. And so in order to get that high again, we have to get something else new and something else new. That's a trap that is so easy to get into in consumerism, but it's empty. It doesn't ultimately lead to fulfillment or happiness or significance or purpose in life. Now, you may think, okay, Pastor Brandon, you're coming down really strong on consumerism. But I want to help you understand, it's not like I'm standing here outside of the problem saying, okay, everyone else needs to shape up, I'm doing just fine. I mean, I already shared about when I was younger and had the, had the catalogs and the, all the stuff I wanted and all excited about Christmas gifts. I mean, really that consumeristic mentality has affected me throughout a lot of my life, and I still see little bits of it here and there. I mean, I think about when I was a teenager and wanted radio control cars. I couldn't be satisfied with, some, with the basic radio control cars from Target or Radio Shack or Tyco or something like that. I needed these amazing radio control cars, and they really were quite amazing. Um, but the amount of money that I spent on them was insane. I mean, like I said, they were amazing little three and a half cc engines that made a couple horsepower and ran on alcohol and nitromethane that could go 50 miles an hour. They were really, really cool. But I invested so much time and energy making money to pay for these cars. I mean, I, they meant so much to me. But where are they now? I can't even tell you where one of them is. I gave it away. Um, to someone I didn't even know. I mean, I, it's been years since I drove those cars. They don't bring any sense of lasting significance to my life. Yeah, they were nice. They were a nice pursuit for a while, but they don't bring meaning or purpose or significance. I think the same thing about a few years later when I, when I got a nice new truck. And I invested so much time and energy in, into it. I literally pretty much worshipped that truck. I still have it. It's getting rusty. I mean, I invested so much time and energy into it. It's just a truck. It's empty in terms of its ability to give me a lasting purpose in life. Think about a few years after that in college, I got this great stereo. I mean, you see a trend here of me buying things that I think are going to be really cool and the newness wears off, and, and they're empty in terms of their ability to bring me happiness. It was a great stereo. I had speakers about that tall. had it in a college dorm. I was on the fifth floor. If you turn it up really loud, you could hear it down the first floor. I thought it was the coolest thing. My friends thought it was pretty cool too. Um, but it was just a stereo. I don't have that anymore either. But we are in this consumeristic mindset. I'm, I've been in that. I still see parts of that in my life. But we get in this mindset of we need more and more and more new stuff. But that stuff doesn't bring happiness. And that stuff pulls our attention away from God. But this consumeristic trap says that we need our greeds. But Paul offers an alternative here. I think it's especially applicable during the Christmas season, but really all through life. The alternative is the godly goal that he sets out of having Christ-centered contentment. He says in verse 6 that godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. So he offers here what could be called an eternal perspective. The idea that when we look at our lives in light of eternity— the things we have in this world, the stuff, really doesn't make that much difference. We didn't bring any of it into the world. When we're done with life on this earth, we aren't going to be able to take anything with us. I mean, we can have eternal life through faith in Christ, but the stuff we have here really won't go with us. It can't bring that lasting happiness and significance. 
And so, so we shouldn't look to the stuff because we're never going to get contentment or happiness from that. It's lasting. Instead, we should look to God and recognize that when we live for things that are eternal, that can bring a much greater sense of contentment in Him. I want to give a couple of practical ways that we can also grow in our contentment. One of the ways is to give to those who are in true need. Give to those who are in true need. If you, are, if you have your Bible open, I invite you to look down a little bit further in 1 Timothy 6, down to verse 17. Paul's addressing people who have quite a bit in terms of material things and wealth. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides with uh, us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So Paul is addressing here people who have quite a bit of money, quite a bit of wealth. And really, I think all of us probably fall into that category in some way or another, because compared to the rest of the world, we are incredibly wealthy as Americans. Even if we don't feel like we have much, we are still incredibly wealthy we don't feel like we have much, it's probably because we're comparing ourselves with people who have a little bit more than we do. That's the way it oftentimes goes. That when we compare ourselves, it's not with people who have less, which is 99% of the rest of the world. We compare ourselves with people who have more. And that makes us discontent. But Paul here in addressing people who have quite a bit, he says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So one of the ways that we can combat this desire to have more stuff and to be discontent with what we have is by giving away to those who are in true need. And in doing so, we open up the way for true joy and peace that is not accessible when we try to hoard things for ourselves. The high school uh, girls' Bible study here at Freedens is doing a really cool thing right now. My wife, Shelly, helps co-lead that study. Uh, They're having a Christmas party this evening. Uh, Last week, as they were talking about this Christmas party, they started talking about having a $5 gift exchange where they each go out, spend $5 on something, bring it back, have this cool little gift exchange, and get to take a $5 drink at home. But they started talking about an alternative idea, which is actually what they're going to do this evening, where they each are going to bring $5, put it all together, and buy something um, through an organization called World Vision that is going to go to help someone who is in great need on the other side of the world. They're probably going to buy something like fruit trees, which will be able to provide fruit for a family for years to come, maybe buy some chickens, buy a goat. I mean, that may sound like, okay, that's a strange thing. But there are people in other parts of the world who are truly in need of these things. And whereas they could just take um, a little $5 trinket home that's going to be gone very quickly, they can instead pool their money and be able to buy something for someone who's in much greater need. And it helps show the importance of being content with what we have and helping those who are in true need. I remember back in high school, I was involved in a $5 gift exchange. And the most coveted gift at that gift exchange, it was two different things. One, it was, it was a case of Mountain Dew and then a bag of peanut butter cups. I remember that because I was the one who, after a bunch of uh, stealing and stuff in the game, I was the one who had to take that gift home. That gift brought enjoyment for at most a week. That's what a $5 gift exchange can do. I mean, compare that, though. And, that, and that's what a lot of the gifts that we give at Christmas time are like. There's something they bring very temporary enjoyment, and then what comes of them after that? But compare that with being able to help provide in Christ's name 
something to benefit a family. I mean, to keep them surviving for years to come. Actually, Shelley and I, for Christmas, I'm, I'm going to give you a secret um, of what we're going to give our son, Micaiah, for Christmas this year. So you can't tell him, and he may be listening right now, but maybe he'll forget by then. Um, here's what we're going to get our son for Christmas. Because he doesn't need more toys. He doesn't need more clothes. He's doing just fine the way he is. Um, what we're going to get him, we're going to give him one treat. Uh, it's called a Lara bar. It's, it's kind of like a little granola bar for kids that he can have that he really, really likes. So we're going to get him one of those that's going to cost a couple dollars. And then in his name, we're going to get a goat and two chickens. And we're going to send a goat and two chickens through this ministry called World Vision somewhere to the other side of the world to a family who's in need. We're actually planning to continue this, make it a tradition year in, year out. I think it'll be really cool in a few years to see, wow, Micaiah, look, you may have not gotten as many toys, even though you still have plenty, but look at the way we were able to bless so many people who were truly in need by giving there rather than just giving you more toys that are going to sit in this box 95% of the time. We're actually looking at doing that for some other people on our Christmas list as well. Um, I encourage you, if you're interested in something like that, uh, go to the website called worldvisiongifts.org. Worldvisiongifts.org. It's a cool place um, where you can learn how to give goats and, and calves and, and chickens and bunnies and soccer balls and Bibles and things like that. Uh, a way to give to those who are truly in need, and much more in need than any of us ever could be here. One of the other things that can help us to be more content uh, during Christmas and make Christmas more significant is give fewer presents with a T, gifts, and give more of your presence. Presence meaning more of your time, more of your energy to people around you. So like I said before, many of us in terms of children, spouses, friends, they don't need more stuff. But what really makes a difference, especially in the life of a child or a loved one, is giving more of yourself, more of your time. And so I want to encourage you, even as you are giving material gifts, to think about how can these gifts strengthen my relationship with that person? Maybe it's something like a board game that you're going to play together as a family. Maybe it's a baseball glove that you're going to play pitch and catch with your child. I think back to one of the most special gifts to me in recent years. It's a racquetball racket that my parents gave me. Um, It's special to me because my dad and I have played racquetball a lot together through the years. Uh, We don't play as much anymore because we aren't close to each other geographically. But they got this racket for me, and it meant so much to me, partly because of the memories of playing racquetball with them, also because I was able to use it when we played racquetball together. I'll say it's actually broken right now, so it's not ever going to be able to be used again. But I don't want to get rid of it because it means so much to me because of what it signifies in our relationship and the time we have spent together playing racquetball. So I want to encourage you, think of creative gifts that you can give that will actually strengthen the relationship that you have with those who are receiving the gifts. It may even be a pound of coffee for a coffee lover. And one of the stipulations for that gift is that you can't drink this coffee except when I'm here with you and we're talking as we're drinking the coffee together. Think about how you can give presents in terms of yourself, not just give gifts to those around you. One of the other best ways to gain contentment in Christ is to treasure Christ himself. That's actually the topic of what we're going to be talking about next week, is treasuring Christ, because when we are captivated by who he is, all the other distractions, including consumerism and busyness and other things, are going to fall by the wayside when we are captivated by who he is. Now, in closing today, I want to share with you briefly about um, a ministry called Advent Conspiracy. 
Advent Conspiracy is a, a Christian movement, a ministry of sorts, that, that really um, promotes a lot of the same things I've been talking about here, um, about spending less, about focusing on Christ, about giving more time. And in just a few moments, uh, we're going to have this morning's offering. And during the offering, we're going to watch a video from Advent Conspiracy. But I want to tell you a little bit more about them. Um, they have four catchphrases that characterize their ministry. One is that they want to worship fully. They want us to do, to do so as well. Worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all. In terms of worship fully, they say we need to do this because Christmas begins and ends with Jesus. We need to spend less so that we can free our resources for things that truly matter. We should give more of our presence in terms of our hands, our words, our time, and our heart. And we should love all, especially the poor, the forgotten, the marginalized, the sick, in ways that make a difference. One of the things that, one of the causes that Advent Conspiracy supports, in addition to just trying to point people to Christ, is that they support giving clean water to people around the world. And so you'll hear about that in the video. But I want to pray for us, and then the ushers will come forward for this morning's offering. And then, and then we'll see this video during the offering. So let's pray. Father, we do confess that it's so easy to be caught up in the consumeristic mindset of thinking we need more and more and more, when in reality more and more and more can't bring us that lasting sense of significance and purpose. And it can't make Christmas truly meaningful. God, I pray that through this Christmas and through the rest of our lives that you will help us to identify those ways in which our hearts are living with a greedy attitude and that we will replace that greedy, consumeristic mindset with a passion for Christ and with being content with what we have rather than thinking we need more. Please guide us in these ways, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.